0: Thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. six weeks ago I needed to charge the battery in our car and so I took it out of the car, threw it on the charger, and then Karen rang me frantically saying that she needed the car but there was no battery in it. Uh, She quickly, being a strong independent woman, uh, went to the garage and threw the battery back in and that was fine, off she drove, happy as Larry, everything was okay. Uh, Now the battery is held in with some retaining hooks and quite a complicated a piece of equipment there that, that keeps it in place, the bracket. And she'd put one of the pieces in place and off she went. Uh, but unfortunately, the rest of the bracket was missing. Uh, now that was my fault because I never checked after she got home that what I had originally taken apart was put back together. Now it didn't matter too much because the battery was fine. It was sitting where it needed to. The car still went. There wasn't too much of a problem. But a piece had been missing and it was missing because I hadn't checked on it. And it would have been a different story, wouldn't it, if the battery wasn't in the car, that would have been a major, or if the engine fell out. This morning, we're looking at a passage that without understanding means that our whole salvation would be having a missing piece. This New Testament story of God's salvation is missing its engine if we don't understand Abraham and God's promises to him in covenants. So today as we look at this covenant and the signs that accompany it, there are three things we're going to think about. Firstly, God's promises and his pledge in verses 1 to 8 and then 15 to 16. Then we'll think about circumcision, which is the sign of the covenant before, in verses 9 to 14, before finishing by asking the question, what does God require from the faithful as we look at Abraham's response in verses 17 to 27? We're on the second slide, Bruce, if you're happy to move on to that next one. Perfect. We know where we're going. Why don't we pray? Father God, we pray that you would help us to understand this important piece of scripture so that our salvation would make more sense. Our Lord, without this passage, the New Testament is hard to understand. This passage is tricky, and we're going to need all of your help this morning. So in the power of your Holy Spirit, would you please open our hearts and our minds to your word, that we would understand you more and know how we can live out our lives in faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the past few weeks, we've become more familiar with God's promises to Abram, haven't we? Uh, From the time God first called Abram in the land of Haran back in Genesis 12, he'd been bringing him into a land that would be his own. And here in that land, he would make Abram into a people and through him and those people provide a blessing to the whole world. Those are the three elements of the covenant, that enduring promise which has been sealed with a sign, that God in his grace still works out for us day by day. Through Abram he's brought about a people, he has given them a land of their own, and he is blessing the whole world through Jesus Christ, Abram's descendant, who made a way for us to be justified by faith. God renewed that promise to Abram in chapter 15 and he made a covenant with him there. So originally he would made a promise and then it became a covenant. It was a weird series of events, wasn't it? Uh, God had reaffirmed those three promises for Abram and then Abram had made a sacrifice of a heifer, a goat and a ram, which he'd cut in half and then laid out the two halves and put a bird on each side as well. And then he'd had this vision of a fire pot representing God Pass between the parts of the sacrifice. Essentially, God had said, tear me apart like these sacrificed animals if I fail in my promise. Now, that was impossible. It's impossible for God to fail on one of his promises. In the custom of the ancient Near East, God had sealed that promise with blood, making it a covenant. And he was swearing by himself, the one who is faithful, the one who cannot deceive, that this would come to pass, it was absolutely sure and certain that God would fulfil His word to Abram. From Abram would come a people, and from those people would come a, would come from a child of Abram's very own flesh. He was told that after four hundred years of suffering, they would have land, the promised land of Canaan, and they would be a blessing to the whole world. Now, that's quite something, isn't it, for an 85-year-old nomad who has no children to hear. Well, where we pick up again today, Abram is 99. 13 years have passed since chapter 16. And God comes again and increases the promise that he'd already given to Abram. In verse 1, he calls Abram to walk before him faithfully and blamelessly. And the covenant that God has established, now we see Abram's part that he needs to uphold. He is to walk in front of God in the Hebrew. It's an expression of service, of devotion, of a faithful servant to a king. Now, Abram hasn't always managed that, has he, to live in a way that is faithful and blameless? Remember back to chapter 12 where he had lied about his relationship with Sarai. And, uh, and then she'd ended up being married off to Pharaoh as a result of that. And there were calamitous consequences for them, weren't they? They were booted out of Egypt and sent on their way. In chapter 16, Abram had gone along with Sarai's plan for him to have a child with her slave, Hagar. He abdicated his responsibility to lead his wife in God's way and allowed Sarai to abuse Hagar so much that Hagar fled. There is a renewed call here for Abram to walk in obedience to God. To daily live out his faith, which has been credited to him as righteousness. There is a wonderful future in store for him in these promises of God. And so God comes and makes a pledge to demonstrate that this is going to be a reality. Because his numbers will be increased. He will be the father of many nations, verse 4 tells us. And so God renames Abram to Abraham. For 99 years, Abram's name has meant he exalts or honors his father. And now he's given this wonderful new name, Abraham, which is a pun. It sounds like father of many nations. God is going to make him fruitful, verse 6. Nations and kings will come from him, and the covenant that God has established and pledged to carry out with this new name, it will be everlasting. It's a word that God uses four times in verses 7, 8, 13, and 19. God is pledging not just to be Abram's God, but the God of those who would come after him, and he will be their God forever and ever. That is a promise which is going to reach far wider than Abram's wildest dreams. Not only will he have a people come from his own family line, one day he will be the father of many. He will be the father of those who are drawn into God's family through the Lord Jesus. To reinforce this pledge, God also renames Sarai. Verse 15, now we see she will be called Sarah, which means princess or queen. That's going to show that she will be the matriarch. She will be the mother of kings and princes. She will be blessed. And verse 16 tells us she will have her very own son. God is committed to his first promise and plan. Despite the impossible, he will see his purpose fulfilled. The promise to Abram that's been sealed with a pledge will gather in those who believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It will gather in the redeemed and it will come through a child of Abram and Sarah's very own. These are significant markers, these names. Their very names will be a constant verbal reminder of God's commitment to seeing his everlasting promise fulfilled. Now to any of the people who lived with Abram and Sarah, You'd think that the announcement of these new names must have seemed like a bit of a joke. Abraham is hardly the father of nations, is he? He's got one child to his wife's slave. Sarah is childless. She's around 90 years of age. She is not going to be having children. You wonder how Hagar and Ishmael would have responded when they were told to call Abram Abraham and Sarai Sarah. Would people around them have laughed and sniggered and mocked them? It seems absurd, doesn't it? And yet despite the absurdity on the face of this all, God goes further to guarantee this future reality. He gives them a sign. The everlasting covenant was going to be guaranteed not just with a pledge from God by the changing of names, but also by a sign or a symbol. Abraham and his descendants, who wanted to uphold their end of the covenant, must be circumcised, verse 10 tells us. Now, this wasn't an unusual practice in the region. Uh, Egypt, Edom, Ammon, and Moab are all listed among the nations who practiced circumcision in Jeremiah chapter 9. But what it signifies in Abraham's family is going to be unique. The removal of the foreskin will serve as a perpetual reminder every time an Israelite man intends to procreate. Every time he looks at his body, he is reminded of this covenant circumcision is a sign reminding God's people of who they are and his future promise to them it is a physical embodiment of trust in the promises of God it is a physical symbol of a promise I think we understand symbols as promises or pledges don't we uh, in 2004, I sold my 1963 Volkswagen Beetle, which was Golf Blue, an 1192cc engine, air cooled, absolutely beautiful. And when I sold that beautiful piece of precision German engineering, I bought a very shiny white, gold, and diamond ring. What did I do with the ring, folks? What did I do with the ring? I gave it to Karen. It sounds like a nice thing to do, doesn't it? To take such a fine piece of automotive engineering and take the money from it and gift it to a lovely young lady. But it was more than a gift, wasn't it? It was a symbol of something. It was a symbol of a promise. What was I promising Karen? That I would marry her. In 2005, we gave each other rings. Our pledge... Our word to each other was sealed with a symbol. The ring was a visible reminder of what the other would do. They would love and honor each other, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and forsake all others until death parted us. When Karen said those words, which were wonderful to hear, she then confirmed her words and sealed them with a symbol. She took my hand and placed a ring on my finger, which serves as a reminder of her promise to me and of my promise to her. Now, when an engagement is broken off or a marriage is broken by divorce, the sign of the pledge is removed, isn't it? In this covenant of God, the one who refuses to practice the sign will be cut off, verse 14 tells us. But we have a new covenant that we belong to as Christian people. In the new covenant in the Lord Jesus, which isn't symbolized by circumcision, but by the whole and unrestricted giving over of his body and blood on our behalf, those who are uncircumcised in their bodies are welcomed into the family of Abraham. They are welcomed into the family line of God. They are adopted through the Lord Jesus. It is the uncircumcised in their hearts who will be cut off from the everlasting covenant that he makes with his people. Male and female and young and old and rich and poor and Gentile and Jew can all receive the wonderful blessings of God in Jesus' covenant. We can receive life eternal. We can receive the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. We can receive the ability for God to be our God There is a lot that we gain, isn't there? We can be his people. But like any of Abraham's descendants who refused to practice circumcision of the flesh, those who refuse to practice circumcision of the heart to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord will be cut off from his covenant of grace. Those are high stakes, aren't they? They are high stakes because they are eternal stakes. So with our eternal futures at risk, How should we respond? Well, Abraham has received instruction on how he can uphold his side of the covenant. He's received a new name. He's received a wonderful promise. God's covenant has been amplified by his grace again. And yet, Abraham's humanness shines through. What does he do in verse 17? He laughs. There is no way on God's green earth that he is going to father a child with Sarah. He's got sore hips and shaky knees. There's no little blue pill that's going to help out with the challenges of a man of his age's body. The odds seem stacked against him, don't they? At almost 100 and Sarah being 90, it's just not going to happen. It's laughable. And so laugh is exactly what Abraham does. And the text tells us that he laughs so hard he falls over. And he suggests another way for God to do this. Look at verse 18. Lord, what about Ishmael? I've got a son. Remember him. Why don't you bless him instead? That'll work. Now, graciously, God will bless Ishmael. Verse 20 tells us he will be a father of 12 rulers. He will form a great people. The Arab nations trace their lineage to him. But God will not be swayed from fulfilling his promise his way. God will fulfill his promise through Sarah. She will have a son, Isaac. It is through his descendants that the everlasting covenant will be established. What was the right response? The right response is obedience. As we think about a right response to the covenant of grace, we also need to grapple with the covenant of the law, the Mosaic covenant that is going to come after it. It would come as God's people left Egypt. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants, are going to have their life and their faith governed by that covenant as an outworking of these promises to Abraham. They all need to observe food laws and purity laws, laws about how to worship, how to sacrifice, how to marry, how to cut their hair. They will be required to keep themselves separate from the world around them by these laws. God has been clear as he lays out that covenant as well, that faithfulness is what is required of God's people. They will need to obey the law, They will need to worship in the prescribed way, first at the tabernacle and then later at the temple. They will need to bring sacrifices and keep themselves separated from the pagan world around them. Don Carson explains why the Mosaic Covenant is so important. He says it establishes many precedents and structures. For example, it's under the terms of the Old Covenant that the Ark of the Covenant, as it is called, becomes really important on which the blood of bull and goat is sprinkled and this is the place of the tabernacle the meeting place between god and human beings it is the organizing of all the people of god into a nation state a covenant people a kingdom of priests and all of these things become structures that point forward to how to point forward to and anticipate the covenant people of god when jesus says I will build my assembly. I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18. He comes as the messianic covenant maker. Friends, we are the followers of that messianic covenant maker. What does God require of us in his new covenant? He requires obedience, faithful service, the same that he required of Abraham and the Israelites under the old covenants. It's an easy word, isn't it, obedience? But it's a difficult calling. In Jesus, we are free from the circumcision of the flesh, and that never made Abraham right with God anyway. When we think back to Genesis 15, what made him right? His faith made him right with God. He believed God's promise, and that was credited to him as righteousness. We are made right in just the same way, through faith. That is what he requires of us, faithful obedience. He wants us to say, yes, Lord, I trust that your way is best, and I'm going to live my life in line with that belief. Every part of my life will be marked out for you. God requires faithful obedience. And verse 23 tells us that on that very day, Abraham, with his brand new name, took and circumcised all of the men in his household as his response in faith. Believing the promise and receiving the pledge, he met God in this covenantal relationship and fulfilled the sign by faith. If we are followers of Jesus, that is meant to be our response, not circumcising the flesh, but circumcising the heart. We are called to live his way, not our own way. God requires a reversal in us of the rebellion of Adam and Eve at the fall. We are to acknowledge and crown God as the king of our lives every single day. And some of us do it. Some of us do it faithfully, even though it has cost such a great deal. Some of us have said no to relationships which we longed for, rather than dishonour God. choosing satisfaction in the love of Jesus rather than the arms of another who didn't walk his way. Boy, that's costly, isn't it? Some of us have spent countless hours visiting, encouraging, praying with people who've been forgotten, instead of with our own families or friends doing the things that we would like to be doing. That's the love of Christ in action, isn't it? Some of us have given sacrificially to God's kingdom. We could have sliced a few years off the mortgage, taken an overseas trip or upgraded our wheels, maybe even to a 1963 Volkswagen Beetle. (laughs) We could have done just a little bit better at keeping up with the neighbours, but instead we've lived modestly, choosing to invest in the work of God's kingdom instead. That has cost us in other ways, hasn't it, friends? Some of us have done the unthinkable in our world and forgiven someone who has wronged us, even though that's meant sucking up our pride and giving away the right to get even. Sounds like our Lord on the cross. Some of us have held fast to God despite tragedy which didn't seem to make any sense. The loss of a child, a debilitating illness, broken relationships, financial ruin, The temptation was there, wasn't it, to pack it all in and walk away from God, because our expectations weren't met. But some of us have trusted that God could use even the worst, most appalling tragedy for his good and the glory of his name. Some of us have borne the cost of following Jesus by being the odd one out at work, at a party, at a family event, the whispered-about weirdo who believes in the Sky Fairy. It's uncomfortable, it's hard, it's difficult, friends. It costs us. And so if circumcision could make us right with God, that sounds pretty appealing at that point, doesn't it? Instead of being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, instead of wrestling with our wrong desires, instead of enduring persecution and mockery that comes as a result of being Jesus' people, instead of having to live sacrificial lives of service and devotion, just lop that bit of skin off and get on with it. But that was never God's intent for us. In obedience, in faith, trusting the promises of God in the Lord Jesus, we are called to circumcise our hearts for faithful people to mark out their lives as trusting in his promise, to live our lives in such a way that it shows the world that we are waiting for a promise to come true, a wonderful promise an everlasting covenant that our God will bless the whole world and bring salvation through a child of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. And wonderfully, friends, he is fulfilling that promise through the Lord Jesus, who welcomes not just the Israelite people, the, the flesh and blood descendants of Abraham, not just the ones who are circumcised in the flesh, but the ones who are humble and with a contrite heart have accepted the lord jesus as the christ and circumcised our hearts why don't we pray and ask him to help us do that more day by day let's pray lord jesus we thank you that you fulfill these covenant promises heavenly father we thank you that you've given these covenant promises that give us hope of a new future. Lord, to obey the law and fulfill these promises in the flesh is a yoke that we cannot carry. We thank you that you carried the burden to Calvary where it was crucified in your body and that we receive the benefits. Lord, it's amazing to think that you love us so much that you would take that burden from us, And that you would remind us that to be safe in you, all we need to do is trust and believe, to have faith. Lord, would you help us to do that more by more, more and more day by day? Would you help us to live out your word as we share and live the good news of Jesus daily so that you might be glorified and many other might come into your kingdom? We ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page, simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website, or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, Zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening.